coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. If you don't have the right list, it doesn't matter how great the sales copy or offer is. If you have the wrong list, you're not going to get any response. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, if you have a great list, but your copy is just okay and your, your offer isn't great, you'll still at least get some response. So you've got to have a great list. And the key is you want to find a list of people or prospects that look like your best customers. So the key, one of the biggest keys is finding out who are your best customers, where they look like, what, what makes them different or unique. What do they buy? What is it that, um, what is their age, their income, their hobbies, their interests? So the example I like to use is let's say you're selling golf clubs. Mm -hmm. Well, the best people to mail, to mail your product to is people who have already bought golf clubs through the, through the mail, or they right. buy golf training videos through the mail, or they spend some kind of money in the mail buying something similar to what you're selling. Mm -hmm. But you have to know who your customers are in order to go find a mail list that looks like your customers. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Up next on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Craig Simpson from Simpson Direct. So if you've used direct mail in the past for your business, there's a chance that you may have worked with Craig Simpson. He's been in the business for many, many, many years, and we get into his history, obviously, as we always do. We like to break down the backgrounds of our guests and, and determine how they got to be where they are today. But direct mail is one of those interesting things, especially in today's market. You know, a number of years ago, everyone thought that direct mail uh, would be dead because of the internet and technology. Now, today, internet and technology is so saturated. Everyone's constantly staring at their phones. And direct mail was sort of forgotten about. And now, because there isn't as much competition, it's making a resurgence and you're able to stand out more by doing direct mail than perhaps you may have ever have been able to. So we get into some of the tips and strategies and techniques that Craig has used over the years, what works, what doesn't work, what to look out for when trying to acquire a list. So this was a great episode, really learned a lot about implementing direct mail uh, in your business. So with that, I hope you enjoy Craig Simpson on today's episode of Pass the Secret Sauce. We had some strong family values. So every night, I mean, we all sat around the table. I just have one sibling and an older brother. And I mean, every single night, there's my mom, my dad, my brother and I at the dinner table. Every night, my mom always cooked a big meal. And it was always family every, every single night. 
That's excellent. That's excellent. What, what were some common, common conversations that you guys had back then? Oh, I mean, there was conversations every meal. Usually it revolved around what was it, what happened in our day. Mm -hmm. My brother and I were always, my parents kept us active in a lot of things. So we're always playing sports or doing some other extracurricular activities. And so our table discussion was always around, you know, what did you do at practice today? Or what did you do at school today? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, what did you do with your friends today? We talk about those kinds of things, but it was always surrounded by, what what did we do that day? And then if we had something coming up, like a trip coming up, like we're going to Disneyland or something, we would always talk about the upcoming trip and what are we excited about and those yeah. kinds of things. That's excellent. That's excellent. So were yeah. you were you an entrepreneurial kid growing up? Were you the kid no. you know selling candy or anything like that? No, not at all. You know what's really interesting is both my parents were teachers, so they both had a a, a steady job. They always had all the time off that I did. But I started my first business when I was 18, just, just, just out of high school. I started selling these fake rock climbing boards. I was really into rock climbing. Oh, cool. And I built this 20-foot high rock climbing wall in my parents' backyard. And by the time I spent all my money on the wood and the steel to build this 20-foot high structure, I didn't have any money left to buy the fake rock climbing holds. So I found a little concoction that I could make my own. And they turned out to feel like real rock, and they were really pretty good. And so really? My buddies would come over and climb on them and say, Craig, these are really good. You should try selling them. And so I went to a couple retail stores that sold rock climbing equipment and they all loved them and they bought them. And so then I started placing ads in magazines and I set up my first direct mail piece. And I eventually over time ended up selling over 4,000 fake rocks Wow! all over the world. And, wow. and so anyways, yeah. So I was an entrepreneur from a young age, even though my parents were not, they were not entrepreneurs at all, but I very much have been my entire life. So you were making the, the fake rocks and I'm assuming these are just, you know, like the handholds, right? The volumes yep, and all that, that you're, that's it. Yep. yeah. Yeah. So, so how did you, how did you figure out the, uh, the concoction to, to, how, how did you make those? Did well, you know I had a, I had a buddy of mine, I was working at a grocery store, who, a buddy of mine who was older, and he was into to cars and stuff. And he says, hey, there's this stuff called, and I was telling him what I wanted to do. He says, hey, there's this stuff called Bondo. It's like uh, fiberglass resin, and you can stick it to cars. I bet you could turn it into a rock. So the two of us started messing with that, and we found out it was too thick. And so we mixed it with some polyester, some lighter polyester resins and sand to give it texture. We just started messing around. Yeah. And we stumbled upon it. It wasn't brain surgery by any means. It was just something that worked. It felt like rock. You could shape it however you wanted. Wow. And uh, so it was a buddy of mine that helped me kind of come up with it. That's great. That's great. So, so what happened next? What did you, so you sold your 4,000, yeah. you know, rock climbing. So, things. Yeah. So over the next couple of years, I, for, for about two or for about three years, I just sold, I just made these rocks out of my mm-hmm. parents' garage. Actually, I built a little shop on the side of it. And sold them all over the world. And I loved the marketing side of things, but I hated, I mean, the phone would ring and I was taking credit card orders at 18, you know, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I was set up for that. Um, but I, I hated the fact that I had to go then into the shop and work with these smelly resins for a couple hours making these rocks. I love selling yeah. and I love the, the marketing behind it, but I did not like the manufacturing. So after about three years that I'm like, enough of this. I can't do this the rest of my life. And so I sold it and I had done all these marketing things, a lot of direct mail. And I went to work for a publishing company and I brought in like all my stuff. And I said, Hey, here's what I've done. Can, can I get a job here? 
-hmm. And they said yes, and they got me to the marketing department, and uh, they taught me some more stuff about direct mail, a lot of stuff. And eventually, I was mailing 30 million pieces a year of direct mail, and I was in charge of it at an early age, early 20s, in charge of the entire direct mail program. I just had a knack for picking lists and doing direct mail. And so it started, had started with that rock business and selling rocks to really loving marketing, going to work for this financial publisher, which I worked for about 10 years. And then since then, I left, since I left that company, I've just been doing for the last, I don't know, 15 plus years, I'm a freelance consultant doing direct mail for all sorts of companies. So that was kind of my progress from, from rocks to direct yeah. mail. And, and were you, did you have a lot of direct mail that you're using to sell the rocks originally is that, did you have background? I I know you kind of touched on, you know, these are some of the things that I've done, but what, what types of things had you done up until that point? Well, there wasn't a lot. I mean, my first direct mail campaign was 200 pieces and I was so excited about it. I wrote the letter and I put a brochure in and I mailed it out. I got a good list. At least I thought it was a good list. And I sat there and waited for the phone ring and the road, I didn't get a single order. It was complete flop. My first one. Yeah, But I kept trying and testing. I eventually found a system that worked. It wasn't great. It was just okay. But the fact that I had done some direct mail and given me some experience so that when I went to work for this company and they showed me the real way to do it, it was like a light bulb went on. I'm like, okay, here's what I was missing. Here's what I need to do different. And, and I just, I just loved it. I love the whole process behind it. Yeah. Yeah. So if someone has their own company today, how would they go about finding the right list to, to sell whatever it is they're trying to sell. I mean, what is, are there any tips that you can give there? So the list is the biggest part. You know, there's three key things to direct mail. It's one is the list, two is the creative and three is the offer. Those are the Mm -hmm. biggest things you can, if you don't have the right list, it doesn't matter how great the sales copy or offer is. If you have the wrong list, you're not going to get any response. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, if you have a great list, but your copy is just okay and your, your offer isn't great, you'll still at least get some response. So you've got to have a great list. And the key is you want to find a list of people or prospects that look like your best customers. So the key, one of the biggest keys is finding out who are your best customers, where they look like, what, what makes them different or unique. What do they buy? What is it that, um, what is their age, their income, their hobbies, their interests? So the example I like to use is let's say you're selling golf clubs. Mm-hmm. Well, the best people to mail, to mail your product to is people who have already bought golf clubs through the, through the mail, or they right. buy golf training videos through the mail, or they spend some kind of money in the mail buying something similar to what you're selling. Mm-hmm. But you have to know who your customers are in order to go find a mail list that looks like your customers. Mm-hmm. Does, that, does that make sense? It, it does. It does. Yeah. So, so how would you go about identifying who your customer is? I mean, obviously, everyone's taught to you know create their avatar of, of their perfect customer. Let's say that you know you're new in business and you are you're trying direct mail out as an option to be able to potentially sell whatever it is you're selling. You don't really have, you know, that, that, that person established yet. Any advice? Because I I think I I know I've had this happen to me before where, you know, people list brokers will contact you and say, Oh, we've got this great list. And actually, I guess that's even another question is how do you even know if it's a good list or not? 
you know, like, like you mentioned, you know, you want to, you want a list of buyers. How do you know that these people have actually bought? Yeah. You know, especially if you're buying the list. Yeah. Good question. So uh, what you want to find like what we call a response-based list, people have bought through the mail. So those are three questions you have to ask the list brokers. How was this list generated? And you can get what's called a data card, which is kind of the menu of what is available on that list. It tells you information about it. You can also say, I would like the usage of this list. Give me a list of the companies who have recently mailed this list. Mm-hmm. So you can go see who else is using it. Hopefully in your space, you recognize some of those names. If you're selling mattresses, you want to find out if the sleep number bed company is mailing that list. If they're not, you got to scratch your head and go, why not? Mm-hmm. They're a big marketer, you know? So you need to make sure that others are using the list and that they're getting what's called continuations on it, meaning have they ordered this list more than one time? And those are things the list broker can get you mm-hmm. if you have to ask for them. And you want to see like, hey, look, if it's direct mail sold, uh, meaning they're selling the product to the mail, can I see a sample of the mail piece they're using to generate this list? Mm-hmm. Now, that may be a harder thing to get a hold of, but sometimes you can get that. So you just got to do some investigative work to make sure that they are direct mail buyers. Got it. That makes sense. And and what types of products would you say work best for direct mail pieces? Or are there things, or maybe the better question is, what types of products wouldn't work for direct mail? So what it comes down to really is the, the lifetime value of the customer. So if you came to me and said, hey, Craig, I need help selling a book. It's $19.95. And I would say, okay, great. What else is there? And you're like, well, no, that's it. I, mm-hmm. I want to sell a book. That's all I want to sell. Well, that's not going to work because the metrics aren't going to work out. The money math, marketing math behind that is not going to work. You can't get a high enough response rate to offset the cost. Now, if you said, hey, Craig, I want to sell a book. That book is going to lead into my mastermind program. And the average person that buys my book, you know, there's a whole bunch that don't do anything. But those that do, you know, they may spend 12 grand with me. So the average customer lifetime value is $300. Okay. Now we have something to work with here. Mm -hmm. Now the marketing math can work. So it doesn't matter the product or the service. What matters is the value of the customer. And is that going to be high enough? And usually in general, I find that, you know, you need to have at least a $200 to $300 customer lifetime value Mm -hmm. in order to make direct mail worth it. Now, I have some anti-wrinkle cream products where the, we are just selling so many of it and the volume so high that we can have a $150 lifetime value and do just fine. Mm-hmm. I have some people in the B2B space, business to business, where their sales are so few that the lifetime value has got to be closer to $1,000 in order for it to work, right? Mm-hmm. So, but in general, you know, two to $300 in order to make it worth promoting. And I've promoted everything under the sun, it seems like books on or courses on how to drink water to (laughs) selling rocks to, I mean, all sorts of weird stuff. And we've had success in a lot of areas. We've also had some failures too, based on how, how businesses are set up. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you mentioned how businesses are set up there. Is there some type of a structure or some method of fulfillment that wouldn't work for, for direct mail? The thing is, is you need to know what is going to be done next. So we go through direct mail, we generate this lead or this entry-level sale. Now what? If we don't have a sequence planned out to follow up with the prospect to sell them other products and services, if we're not set up to 
get that next sale from them, mm -hmm. then that's not going to work for us. You've got to have a plan in place on, on, on how to, what's the customer lifecycle going to look like? What are we going to do with them once we get them in the door? Hey, it's Matt. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I've been involved in the multifamily real estate realm for a while. It's something that I truly, truly enjoy, and I wanted you, my listeners, to be the first to know about something new coming out. We're calling it the MultiWiser Deal Room. It's a community of individuals just like you who want to get wise about multifamily real estate investing, developing, and even owning and managing your own complexes. You'll be able to network with people from all sections of the industry, from investors looking for deals, project managers looking for investors, real estate brokers, property management agencies, contractors, remodeling experts, finance gurus, you name it, we're going to have it in the network. I've been at this for a while, and I know it takes a community to make just one of these projects happen. And the MultiWiser Deal Room is my attempt to shorten your learning curve and get you plugged into leading experts fast who can help you close your own deals. We start off with a video glossary of over 150 commonly used terms to increase your understanding and help you get moving. Also included in the community are training videos to help you be successful, like how to put together a pitch deck, build a team, and so much more. We're going to have live interactive Zoom calls where you can ask your questions and learn from people who are actually out there in the industry doing it. For more information, go to multiwiser.com. Those are the companies that thrive and do well when they know that. If you're just generating leads but aren't quite sure of what to do next or the system is not put into place, then that's, that's going to not do well for you. Got it. Got it. So we we're obviously well into the digital era and I think you've probably been doing this long enough to maybe, you know, where, where, you know, the, the email marketing and all of that wasn't necessarily in the mix, you know, early on uh, yeah. in your career. So in your perspective, obviously, you know, when email came in, everybody said that, you know, this is completely different than, than mailers and, and mail marketing. Do you feel like, again, I'm, I'm kind of just riding the roller coaster here. I'm assuming that it kind of dipped down. And then now that everybody's so used to having emails, you know, the, the direct mail route is something that stands out now is, you know, where sure. not as many people are doing it. Do you, is that what you're seeing? Is that kind of like on the uptick now? Yeah, I mean, the, the bottom line is there's less mail in the mail stream today than there was two years ago, four years ago, 10 years ago. So because of that, our mailboxes are open and meaning there's less saturation, there's less competition in there. So the response rates are a bit higher than what they used to be because you don't have as much information in there. When you compare that with your email inbox, you know, some people, you know, like me, I get 100 emails a day, you know, or more. When an ad comes through, it's quick and easy to click a button. Same with TV or radio, but with direct mail, you are forced to physically do something with. If I send you a mail piece, you can't click it and it's gone. You have to then take it to your recycling bin, your trash can. You have to hold it and look at it because you don't know what it is. Is it an important paperwork from your insurance company? Is it a check being mailed to you? Is it a letter from grandma? You have no clue. You've got to make a decision about that piece. Mm -hmm. Now, with email, radio, TV, electronic media, you can click it and it's gone. Poof, it's gone away. But now we forced you to do physically something with it. And that's what's unique. That's what's always been unique about direct mail. And that's what's still unique and different about it today. 
Yeah, that's great. That's great advice. Have you seen direct mail pieces that work better than others? I mean, there's, you know, lumpy mail and just postcards, but talk a little bit about what, what, what's working today for you guys, as opposed to what's not. Wow. So there is such a broad thing. Like it depends what we're doing. So I have a group of dentists that I market to, and it's a small targeted group of dentists. Well, we're mailing out a box with a video mailer on the inside, right? So they open it up the box inside, they open up a book and inside is a video that's playing. That's an expensive package that's FedEx to them. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, you know, we've got some people who are doing low cost postcards, but they're mailing the masses, right? So they're mailing, you know, lots of people, but they're mailing a postcard out for 34 cents a piece, including postage. And they're just looking for a few responses for every thousand. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a whole different game. Now, can we do the video book to that group? No, you lose your shorts. Mm-hmm. There's a group that we sell solar generators and it's $1,800 and we're selling a, we're sending out an 80 page sales letter. It's working, but you know what I mean? It's like different for every niche. We really have to discuss and figure out what niche you're in Mm -hmm. and figure out what mail piece is going to work for that space because every space has something different that's going to work for it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's interesting. Can you talk a little bit about how would you, I guess, how are you evaluating what a successful campaign is versus a non-successful campaign? Obviously, you know, the, the returns have to be there, but are, are there some metrics that you can say, we, we mailed this campaign out and maybe we had, you know, whatever, a hundred phone calls off of a campaign, but no one bought. Is no. that technically considered a successful campaign because you had the response and maybe, maybe the problem is with how the phone was answered or whatever, whatever the reply is. Can you talk a little bit about how that comes together? Yeah. Great question. Ultimately the short answer is a campaign successful, if it's profitable. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be profitable today, but it's profitable when you incorporate the lifetime value of the customer that we're gonna make money on this. And not make money out of five years from now, but hopefully within the next six to nine months, it's mm-hmm. gonna be super profitable. It's not uncommon, and I work with some big companies, some of them are billion dollar companies. Sometimes we'll do a mailing and they know they're not gonna make money until month nine or 10. And mm-hmm. they're okay with that because the amount of money they're gonna make is significant. But that's the way it is for everybody. It doesn't matter whether you're a small company or a big company, It's the fact that within a short period of time, you're going to have a positive return on your investment. That's the ultimate number. Now, are there campaigns where where you generate leads and you're not getting any sales, but you consider the number of leads you brought in success, but the conversions is terrible? Yeah, we've had those too. We've had it where the call centers dropped the ball, where we've generated 100 phone calls and we've only sold, you know, 10 units. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a low price product. And we find out that the call center, we listen to the message, the, the, the calls and they're doing a terrible job, right? They're the business prevention department rather than taking sales, mm-hmm. they're discouraging them. So, you know, Hey, we're happy that we've got the phone to ring a hundred times, but we're discouraged that they didn't do their part. And that happens too. But ultimately the campaign failed because it's not going to produce a positive ROI. We fix things in the system and then it's a pro- it can become profitable type of campaign in the future. Yeah, got it. Are you using QR codes on anything right now? I'm curious if you're bringing the, the digital back into a mailing piece. Is that working at all? Uh, sometimes. It's not common. It, it all depends. You know, they're not, there's a neat little thing, right? It's, hey, cool, you can do this thing with it. But mm-hmm. if we put that on there with a mail piece and a URL that they can just type in and go to, more often than not, people are just going to go to the URL. 
-hmm. It can be kind of cumbersome and, you know, I got to find the program or app on my phone and do all this and that. Sometimes it's just quicker for people to enter in. Having said that, it doesn't mean they don't use them because we do have, I do have clients that use them, mm -hmm. but it's not like the answer to everything. Got it. Got it. What types of budgets would people need to allocate toward doing a, a direct mail campaign? Like, and let's say that, you know, this is just starting out as a test. What, what's a yeah. typical budget that they would need? And, you know, then they can scale from there. Sure. Again, this, it, it depends on what it is they're selling and who their target audience is. So for example, I work with a, a dental practice and we, we have one campaign that we only send 150 to 200 mail pieces out at a time. And it's, it's an undone treatment campaign. It's people have come in, they need a filling or they need a bridge or something and they haven't gotten it done yet. So we send them out a short little note mm -hmm. and say, hey, if you, if you come in and get this treatment done within the next 30 days, we're gonna give you a gift card for a steak dinner. Some little incentive on there. Now we're only mailing 150 pieces, 250 pieces. So it's not costing us that much money. Mm -hmm. The overall budget's you know, a few hundred dollars. But the return on investment is great because you get 10 people to come in for these higher end treatments. Mm -hmm. It's thousands and thousands of dollars of, of revenue that's generated. Mm -hmm. So we don't need to mail out 10,000 pieces. If you're doing something where you have a lower priced product and lower priced lifetime value, it's going to be tougher to mail 250 pieces and make it profitable, right? So it's very specific to your niche and what your offer is. Got it. Got it. That's, this is, this is great. If people wanted to find out a little bit more about you, your services, options for direct mailing, how would they get in touch with you? Yeah. The best way is just to go to my website, which is simpson-direct.com, simpson-direct.com, or just go to Google and type in Craig Simpson direct mail or Simpson direct, direct mail. And my website will pop up. I've got like a hundred different blog articles on there. So if you want to read more of it, you can. I have a newsletter and course I sell. I've got books. So you can find out all sorts of stuff just by going to my webpage. And then also there's an, a, a place where you can contact me if you've got questions or want to find out more. It's all right there. Excellent. Love it. Yeah. So everybody's got to try the, uh, the direct mail campaign today. <laughs> figure out what, uh, what's working. I, I, I've heard this for years and years that you know, direct mail has been working better than what it ever has before you know, in the past. Again, like you said, because of the, uh, the mailbox being empty these days. So, yeah. so whatever it takes to stand out, right? That's right. That's right. Excellent. I appreciate you, Craig. Thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.